0: You can be seated. Good morning. morning. It's a great joy to be with you all this morning. Some of you may know who I am. Others of you don't know at all, and that's fine. I'm a nobody, so. Um, my name's Steve Coward. I'm one of the pastors of Glasgow Church, and it's a great joy to be here this morning um, as we are one church with multiple campuses and it's exciting as I get to be a part of that. That's why you guys have seen me here before or if you've ever done things over at the Glasgow campus or maybe even at the Redemption campus as well. Well this morning we're going to continue our series and oh and I'm here to hopefully give Peter a little bit of relief with baby Remy at home. Did he give you any sleep last night Peter? No sleep? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah I'll give you some advice. I gave this Advice to another staff couple at our church, and the husband wasn't very pleased with this. But what, what I told him was that there was no need for her to ever get out of bed at night, because you could easily, you know, get the baby out of bed and bring, bring the baby to you each and each and every time during the night. So there's no need for you to ever get up at night. That's my advice. So see how that works for you. Okay, this morning we are going to continue um, in the series of Jonah. And today's going to be, we're not going to be at an exact passage. We're going to kind of be taking a big picture look um, and trying to see its context in all of Scripture. We'll we'll see how we can do uh, with that this morning. You're welcome to open up your Bibles to uh, the book of Jonah as we get started this morning. Um, I I don't know about you, but I, I love stories. I, I love stories that just draw me in Whether it's a good novel uh, Whether it's a movie or a TV show And I'm sure many of you, how many of you have Netflix? Many? Some of you We, we, we find ourselves binge watching Netflix um, Sometimes I can remember the very first show That Adrian and I, Adrian's my wife, binge watched It was whenever Grayson, the one sitting right here in the front st- Whenever he was a baby And we were, you know, I mean like very Like right now For you guys, Um, we were trying to—you know—how do we bring some sanity? You know, as we're just, uh, you know, what do we do? We 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 binge watched Lost. um, For those of you who've seen it, It, the show was still on at that time, so we were trying to catch up so we could watch it live. And and Lost was, for those of you who haven't seen it, interesting show where, you know, these people they crash land on this island, and this island is weird. It's very mysterious. There's all sorts of supernatural things going on there. And and much of the show, you are trying to figure out what in the world is going on in this place. And then you get all the way to the end of the show and everything's over and you may not be satisfied with the conclusions that they gave you. But anyway, the whole show, you're wondering what in the world's going on. And the interesting thing in that story is you're not the only one wondering what in the world is going on. All the characters in the story are wondering what in the world is going on. Okay? It's not just you. Well, sometimes I think as we look at a book like Jonah, I think we can sometimes make at least a little bit of the mistake of not not understanding that the characters know more than you do. Um, That Jonah might have actually known more than you do as you come to the text often. Now maybe you don't, maybe you have a great background in Old Testament and stuff, but sometimes we we come to a story like Jonah and, and we don't see the fullness of the context and I hope we can give a little bit of that this morning in particular as, as you as we start out in the book of Jonah we, we see that initial call now the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amati saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me and in Jonah 3.1 we see it reiterated right then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So, Jonah is called to go and call out to the city. We're not told the context or the content of exactly what he's supposed to share. But he's called to go to this place. And we hear it, and to some degree, we, we kind of put ourselves in that place. And kind of like, man, God's calling me to go to my, na- my, my enemies? And we just think it's like this call for Jonah out of the blue. Like this would have been completely foreign language to Jonah to go to the Ninevites. We think it's, that that's not really there in the Old Testament. That doesn't going out to those other people, doesn't that start with the New Testament? Doesn't that start with Jesus and in particular when Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost? Isn't that really when that mission starts? Well, I hope this morning we'll, we'll be able to see that, that Jonah may, may have known more than we do that that call to go to the Ninevites might not be as foreign as we think it is. In fact, if you, if you just, and you don't have to necessarily turn there because some of you may know this relatively well, but back in Genesis 1, where everything starts, right? In Genesis 1.26, what are we told? This is in the very beginning. This is how God made everything. And he, he made them male and female. He made man and woman, male and female. And he created them how? In the image of God, he created them, Right? And if you were an Israelite in that day, and you were hearing that for the very first time, because you see, Moses probably wrote that after the Exodus, after going through the Red Sea, maybe they're in the wilderness. Conceivably, they could have still been back in Egypt, but regardless, that's kind of the time frame, right? These are people who knew Egypt well. That's where they'd grown up. That's where they'd been enslaved. And when Moses tells them, you are created in the image of God, that was Enthralling to them. That was exciting. That gave them incredible dignity that you and I might not even be able to understand. Because back in Egypt, there was one person who was in the image of God. And that was Pharaoh. Only Pharaoh had image of God. That's what they grew up with. That's what they knew well back in Egypt, right? And so Moses is now telling these Israelites, saying, No, we're all created in the image of God. It's, it's, it's not just Pharaoh. He would have been giving them incredible, incredible dignity. That you too, in a sense he's saying, you too are royalty. But, so he, he tells them, okay, you're creating the image of God, but he doesn't just leave it there. He creates them in the image of God, but with a purpose, he doesn't just say you're the image of God. He creates it with a purpose, right? And that's as we see in verse 28. What does he say? What does he tell them to do? He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. So he creates them in the image of God, but he creates them in the image of God for a purpose. And what is that purpose? Did you catch it? That purpose is to fill the earth. The purpose for Adam and Eve was to expand the bounds of that garden until it overtook the entirety of the earth. Okay, and why was that? You know, you think of Pharaoh back in Egypt. Pharaoh was the only one who was the image of God. But all over Egypt, no doubt, there were little images of Pharaoh. Whether it might be, you know, as you think about those sphinx and all those kind of things that had kind of the pictorial representation of Pharaoh. But you also had all of his soldiers. And everywhere you went, if you were an Israelite, every time you saw one of those soldiers, for instance, what would you be reminded? You would be reminded who was really in charge. You would be reminded who was really king. It's kinda like the days of the Iraqi war and Saddam Hussein and you see the toppling of those statues and the pulling down of all those posters that were plastered throughout the land, why? So that nobody, so that no Iraqi would ever forget that Saddam Hussein is in charge and he's in control. So God tells Adam and Eve, he tells first man and woman, you are created in the image of God and that image of God is to do what? That image of God is to proclaim God's glory throughout the world. It's to go out and claim more ground for that great kingdom for that great God, right? But then of course we think, well, is that, but that was Genesis 1. Genesis 3 happens, right? And that image of God is then marred. And we think, well, is, is, the image of, is, is that still our purpose? Is that still how God created us? Is that still how God created the Israelites? And in fact, it is. After the flood, what does God tell Noah? But God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's a reminder of that original calling, that original purpose that God created us in his image so that we might spread to the very ends of the earth. And, and God reminds Abraham of that. Abraham, off worshiping idols, whatever he was doing. And God calls him. And he says to Abraham, what does he say in Genesis 12? He says, I will make you a great nation I will bless you and I will make your name great. But he doesn't just stop there. He then adds a so that. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great so that you might be a blessing. He, He wasn't just great so that God, so that Abraham could have this great nation. It's so that that great nation could be a blessing to other nations so that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, he told Abraham. You, you see this continuity, you, you, you see this continuance of, of this thing from the very beginning that God desired for his image bearers and after the fall, his redeemed images. Those who were found in him, those who believed in him, who trusted in him, who had faith in him to go out. Okay? That's part of the problem. If you think back to the Tower of Babel, part of the problem of what took place there is their failure to go out. They were failing to do what they were created to do. You see, this is what we were created to do. We were created to go out. And so the Israelites, they are even told, and they're told this multiple times and in multiple places, they're told, for instance, to be an attractive people. They, God, God tells them, for instance, in Deuteronomy 4, I've given you these statutes and you know what's gonna happen because of that? All the other people are gonna look at you and they're gonna say, whoa. Whoa, what kind of God do you have? I want some of that. In the sight of all peoples, when they hear all these statutes, and they will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. And it doesn't even in there. In the Israelite psalm book, in their song book, the book of songs, psalms, not songs, psalms, that you have this over and over, this, that, that the nations are to proclaim the glory of God. Psalm 96 is, is just an example. What, 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 what did the Israelites sing? Listen to what they sang. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. All the families of the people, all the peoples, everybody, not just Israel, everybody, Worship God, he's saying. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. He's doing that in the context of saying who to come. Not just the Israelites, but everybody. And then he gives the Israelites a command, even that same psalm. You know what he says? He says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Israelites knew this language. This is the language they were brought up on. And it seems like, but you think of Israel and you think, well, they didn't really do much with this, did they? It doesn't seem like they went out much. It didn't seem like they were fulfilling their purpose. A, and I think at the end of the day, you would be right. They were told to say among the nation, among the nations, You're, the Lord reigns. They were the redeemed images of God, and they were to, to, supposed to go out to the very ends of the earth. But how'd they do? How well would they do at that? Here's what I want us to understand from that is, Jonah, as a prophet of God, he should've and no doubt did know this. He knew that God's objective was bigger than Israel. He knew that God's objective was global. He knew that the reason that they were created was for global purposes. And if you and I don't quite get it, if we, we kind of, well, is this really how God intended things from the very beginning? Well, yes, He did, and we can know that from the end. How do things end? Read it in Revelation 7, starting at verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb of God, clothed in white and crying aloud. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It begins to sound an awful lot like Genesis one twenty-eight, and that call to go out to the very ends of the earth. And of course, we can see it through the lens of Jesus and, and many of us think, well, it all starts with Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't it start with with Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Isn't that where it really begins? My argument to you this morning is it doesn't start with Jesus. Jesus is, is reiterating what the purpose has been from the very beginning. God's purpose never changed. His purpose for, for making us in his image Never changed. It's always been the same. In Acts 1, where he says, The Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. That's always been his intention. That's always been his desire. Now, no doubt, Holy Spirit coming in Acts 2 helps explode that in a huge way. But this has always been God's intention. It's always been God's purpose and Jonah should have known when in fact I think that's part of why he runs the other way because Jonah knows remember and we'll read this in a minute Jonah knows precisely what God's doing he knows that the real reason isn't to take bad news to Nineveh it's to take good news he knows that ultimately that's his purpose to tell them the Lord reigns and he doesn't like it and we need to understand that Jonah's call is our call too. His call is our call too. Our call, we, we must take the gospel out. We, we must take it to our neighbors. This is what, if we don't get anything else from more, this is what we are made to do. See, sometimes we, we think of like sharing the gospel. We, we think of evangelism. We think of that and we think of something additional. Something some of us are good at, some of us aren't. Yeah, that's not really my strength. Uh, there's some other people at in my, in, in my campus who are good at it. I'll, I'll, I'll let them handle that. What we need to understand is God made us for this. It's part of us being created in his image. To be his ambassadors into the world. Now, no doubt that takes on all sorts of forms. It's not just us going out on a street corner and proclaiming the Lord reigns. It's also the way that we live our life. It's the way that we interact in our homes, at work, place, everywhere. No doubt that's the very reason why Christianity exploded in the first few centuries. You know, it went from like one, 2% of the Roman Empire to suddenly like 50% of the Roman Empire. Why did that happen? How did that take place? Well, at least one sociologist, it's a very interesting book called The Rise of Christianity, Ronnie Stark, he, he says that the reason that really took place is because of the way that the Christians cared for people during some of those plagues in those first couple of centuries. It was amazing. You know, the the plagues, they didn't really know much about them. They didn't know why they were taking place. But the people were wise enough to know, hey, if somebody seems to have something, we need to get away from them. And so if you had means, you were out of there. If you were a doctor, you were out of there. And yet the Christians stayed. Yet the Christians... Stayed. And one of the really funny things, and, and we need to get this, I think, and understand this one of the things that Stark um, says is that they didn't stay because they were braver. Because it wasn't bravery at all. They, they knew their end. The Christians knew the inheritance they had waiting before them. They weren't being like super brave, they, they knew the incredible inheritance they had before them. They didn't, there was nothing for them to cower in fear to. And sometimes we cower in fear to it and seem to not understand the incredible nature of what it is that we have before us. Jonah's call is our call. It's what we were made to do. We were made to image our great God and to image him to the rest of the world to multiply his redeemed images to the very ends of the earth so that every tongue, tribe, and nation could proclaim him as king. But of course we struggle with that, right? We don't always do well at that. Sometimes we are like Jonah and we run away from it. You say you want to go and share the gospel with somebody and you're going to be running in the opposite direction. Hey, you want to come with me? And we run the opposite way, don't we? And to understand Jonah a little bit better and I'm sure here you, you may have already looked here but I think it's important in 2 Kings 14 we see Jonah's background okay in the 15th year of Amaziah the son of Joash the king of Judah Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel began to reign in Samaria and he reigned for 41 years this is Jeroboam the 2nd and he begins his reign and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. Jeroboam, too, he's not a nice guy. He was not a good guy. He was an evil king. He was a bad dude. And so what do we expect next? We expect next to hear the curses, right? But instead, what do we read? He restored the borders of Israel from Lebehamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. Which he spoke by his servant Jonah. The prophet. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel. Was bitter. For there was none left bond or free. There was none to help Israel. But the Lord had said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. Jeroboam the second. Do you see what Jonah got to do? Jonah, unlike most of the prophets who were bringing bad news all the time, he got to bring good news. Hey, God's being gracious to us. God isn't giving us what we deserve. God's giving us prosperity. He got to prophesy in a time of great prosperity. It's it's astonishing. If anybody knew and understood God's graciousness, Should have been Jonah. Jonah knew the situation. He knew that Jeroboam II was evil. He knew that he was failing to take down all those high places and stuff. And yet, God was gracious and he allowed it to grow. And he allowed that kingdom to continue. And so, Jonah, having experienced God's grace, what does he do? Verse 3, chapter 1. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He knows what he was created to do. He knows the purpose that that Yahweh isn't just for Israel. That God desires to bring in all the nations to spread to the very ends of the earth. and, And he also knows God's incredible graciousness to himself and to Israel. And so what does he do? He runs the other way. And why does he do that? What is so wrong with Jonah's heart? I think ultimately, if I had to boil it down, I mean, there's multiple adjectives you can put on there, but the ones that I was thinking as I was reflecting on this week were jealousy and envy. And they may not immediately make sense to us. Um, most, a, a lot of you have probably read some or all of the Narnia series and, or watched some of the movies. And in fact, the illustration I'm going to use is actually from the movies. It wasn't in the book maybe C.S. Lewis, it would have been helpful if he had it in the book because it's a fascinating little little picture that's given in the movie. But in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And Lucy, if you remember Lucy, she's the littlest of the Pevensey kids. She's the one who initially went in through the wardrobe into the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. She's the first one to have gone into Narnia from that family. And she comes upon this book called The Book of Incantations. Okay, and as she's flipping through the pages, she finds a spell that promises to be an infallible spell to make you the beauty you've always wanted to be. Okay, and there on the facing page is the picture of a mirror. And as she looks into it, what does she see? But Susan, her older sister. The one who she's lived her life in jealousy of because she's older She's more beautiful, she's the popular one. She's lived a life of jealousy towards her sister and whenever she looks into that mirror, she sees Susan. She tears out that page, she sticks it in her pop- pocket and, and later she has a dream. And in the dream she pulls it out and she says those words of, of the incantation, make me she whom I'd agree holds more beauty over me. And you know what happens, she turns into Susan. And Lucy is suddenly completely gone from the pages of history. And as she stands there, horrified at what just took place, who comes up behind her but Aslan. And he says, what have you done, child? She says, I don't know, that was awful. But you chose it, Lucy. You, you, you chose it. I didn't mean to choose it. I, I just wanted to be beautiful like Susan, that's all. And Aslan tells her, you wished yourself away, and with it much more. Your brothers and sisters wouldn't have even known about Narnia without you. Lucy, you discovered it first, remember? Lucy, she she completely forgot the, the good news, if you will, of Narnia. She forgot her place in the story. She forgot how special she was. She was just suffering in the midst of her jealousy of her older sister. And you remember Jonah, what, what happens in, in Jonah four? In Jonah four, after he's preached, the Ninevites have come to faith. And what is what does Jonah say? What does he say? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said was yet in when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. This is why I ran away, for I knew that you're a gracious God. And merciful, slow to anger, relenting from disaster. Now, Lord, just take my life away from me. You see, ultimately, this is incredible envy and jealousy. What what is envy? Envy is whenever you want something for yourself, but don't want the other to have it. Okay, it's, it's not enough for you to just want, want it. Want the thing that your neighbor has, but you don't want them to have it. And that, in some ways, explains Jonah to a T. He wanted that grace for himself. He was more than happy to have that grace back when he was prophesying in Israel, right? He was more than happy to have that grace when he was in the belly of the fish and ended up getting out, and ended up getting rescued. He was more than happy to have God's grace then. But the grace for them, the grace for those people, no, absolutely not. He just wanted God's blessing for himself. He just wanted God's blessing for Israel. He doesn't want the Ninevites to have what he has. And he should know better, right? In fact, he does know better. That's what's so silly. I knew that you would do this. I knew, I know your grace, he says. I know how big your grace is. I knew your grace would cover this city. That's why I didn't want to come. I didn't want them to have this grace. And he has his little pity party. Why? He knows God's purpose. He knows God's plan, but he hates it. He hates God's plan. He hates God's plan that that other people are going to come to know his great God. But he should have known better, right? We've already talked through that. He should have known better. In fact, he did know better, and that's what makes it so, so messed up. But we got to ask the question about ourselves as well. Jonah's heart was clearly in a bad place. What about our heart when it comes to this very same thing that we are created for? Why, why, why do we not go? Is it partially because of fear? Probably. But I think maybe even more fundamentally for us is something that I think would connect well with Jonah is that we misunderstand God's grace. Is that in our life we, we, we don't really get it. You know, and, and here I get it. I mean, a lot of us in here, we, we know our theology and, and we know that there is nothing that we could ever do to earn God's love, Right? We know that we've had that drilled. Many of us had that drilled into our heads. We we know that's the truth. That's up here. That's in our heads. Our real theology takes place in our hearts. Real theology doesn't take place in your head. Real theology takes place in your heart. And it takes place as we live that out. And as, as we live that out, our understanding of grace, maybe sometimes in our heart, if we're really honest, it looks like, well, I think they're kind of too far gone. I don't think there's any way that they could ever be reached. Maybe you even have some of those in your, same fa- in your own family. Maybe there's even those who you don't want to receive God's grace, if you're really honest. I mean, I know verbally you're going to say, of course I would want to Osama bin Laden to become a Christian. But maybe in the depths of your heart. You're really glad that he didn't. You know, you know. Like in that instance. That we'd rejoice over the death of somebody. And I understand that. Because there was victory there. There, there was judgment handed out there. But at the same time. in all of us as believers. There should be a sense of sorrow. That Yet another marred image of god goes to the grave without being redeemed but sometimes we don't get it and i think we don't get it because we don't really understand the radical nature of grace and the radical nature of the gospel in our lives because if we're honest at times we do think well i'm i'm really not that bad we really do at times fear, well, if I if I go too far down that path, then maybe maybe I'm gonna fall outside of God's grace. Uh, maybe that's bad stuff's happening to me because I've been neglecting his word and oh, You find yourself in sin and then you find yourself thinking that somehow you need to pay penance for it. Somehow I gotta do something to make God love me again. This is how we live. This is, now our, our head may say that's all bad theology. This is often how we live in reality. And we live in reality because though our heads may know the theology of grace, our hearts are sometimes very far from it. We don't understand, we don't grasp and comprehend the radical nature of grace in our own life. Jonah surely didn't. Because what is Jonah's gripe in 4? In what is his concern? What's the concern of his heart? The concern of his heart is, is the plant that grows up over him. Not the 120,000 images of God in Nineveh. You see, his heart is radically different from God's heart in the story, right? God's heart is for the Ninevites, God's heart says and should I not pity Nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 images of God marred images of God in desperate need of being redeemed Jonah he doesn't get it his heart is hardened he's thinking about self He's concerned with his own priorities and not God's priorities. He's not concerned with God's purpose for him. You know, Jonah, it's an interesting book because it ends without an answer, if you will. It leaves us hanging. What does Jonah do with all of this? What, what is he going to do? And, and I'm thankful, actually, that it leaves us there that he doesn't tell us what happened next with Jonah because because we need to as we reflect on Jonah we need to reflect on our own hearts where are we really do we understand who we really are and ultimately you know one of the reasons why I think it ends where it does is because God is trying to show Jonah your heart is just like the Ninevites you're no different than them You think you are. You think, oh, I grew up in Israel. And and God's saying, no. No, there's nothing in you, Jonah. There's nothing in you that makes you any better than those sailors. Nothing in you that makes you any better than the Ninevites who had nothing to do with me before I came to them through the word I spoke through you. What we need to understand... And what we need to be thankful for is that there is a much greater Jonah that has come. Much, much greater Jonah has come. In Luke 11, Jesus actually speaks of this. And he doesn't actually call himself the greater Jonah, although he kind of does. He kind of, in a sideway refers to himself. This is what he says. He says, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He's, of course, talking about himself. He's saying, the the greater Jonah is here. Okay. Now, for a moment here, I'm going to steal from Peter from Wednesday night, and he won't mind. But just think about this picture Here is the city of Nineveh and God brings grace to that city, doesn't he? He places his, if you will, circle of grace around that city. And where, where does Jonah go? Jonah goes straight outside the city, straight outside of that incredible grace. That God is bestowing. He sits himself outside of it. Okay. Now. While Jonah. Jonah goes outside of the city. Jesus did too. If you remember. Jesus too goes outside the city. Jesus too if you will. Goes outside of that circle of grace. He goes. To a place of condemnation. But he goes outside the city very. Very. Very unlike Jonah, doesn't he? Jonah goes out there pouting. Jesus goes out there and dies for Jonah's pouting. Jesus goes outside the city for our sin. He goes outside the city for our failure to have the heart that he does, for our failure even to fulfill our purpose, our failure even sharing the gospel with our next door neighbor. For that too, Jesus had to die. And he did. And that's the incredible nature of grace. That there's nothing that you and I could ever do to even begin to earn it. You and I we must first understand that we are the Ninevites. That we are no better. But that hopefully if we're in him we're actually within that incredible circle of grace. Not because we've earned it. Not because we worked hard and we've gotten everything together and our lives are good and families are great. But purely because of God's grace. And because of that. That even because of our selfishness, even because of, even our jealousy, even our envy, Jesus died for it all. And if we can begin to understand this, I think if we can begin to understand the radical nature of grace... If we can truly begin to understand the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. If we can truly begin to bask in how awesome it is. Not just this thing that we hear over and over and over again. And yes, Jesus died for me. No, if you understand how incredible that is. Not up here. But your heart. A heart that is changed because of it. That instead of going left, you go right because the gospel is in your heart. That you've been transformed by it. Because you, you can't help but be reminded of how much you don't deserve it. And how incredible it is that a sinner like me is washed clean. It's unimaginable. It's incredible. And if we really understand how glorious this is. How glorious this is that we have been created in his image. In the image of God he created us and we are now the redeemed images of God and he has made us for a purpose to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth and even across the fence. Not just driving into our neighborhood and yet again pulling into our garage and closing the door before we happen to have a conversation with somebody not driving through our neighborhood, not even thinking about the fact that actually we already know that that person and that person aren't believers and we just drive through and, and, and our heart isn't even broken by it. That as we drive down the interstate, we see billboards all over the place that, that proclaim, that, that proclaim how far so many are from him and yet our hearts aren't broken over it. Oh, if we could just Pray. That God would begin more and more each day to give you and I a greater burden. A greater burden, maybe even just praying. God, would you give me a greater burden for my next door neighbor who doesn't know you? <laughs> that I might actually pray for them every day. Oh. If only we could do that which we are created to do. So that every tongue, every tribe. And every nation would proclaim him as king because we truly understand the incredible grace of God that has been bestowed upon us. And we don't want to just hold it in for ourselves. But we so want others to know the gloriousness of it because we know that we ourselves didn't deserve it. And so we want others to have it as well.